at Luke chapter 1 today, um, and I'm going to read uh, verses 26 and following. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. A couple months ago, just before the weather was starting to turn and a new winter was coming, it was about 11 o'clock at night, Stephanie got home, she was out doing something, and uh, she said, do you want to go outside and, and have a fire, sit by the fire? And I said, sure. I mean, it's a beautiful night. This, this night it was like 60 degrees, real light breeze, and we know winter's coming, so I'm like, yeah, let's go out and enjoy uh, the fire. So we got, go out there, and it was just beautiful. I mean, the stars were bright, shining brightly, not a cloud in the sky, I mean, just perfect, and just an opportunity for my wife and I to just talk, connect. And after about a half hour of being out there, I got up and went to the fire to just kind of fluff it, to get it going again, because it was starting to die down. And then Stephanie says to me, there's somebody coming. And, and I look, and, you know, we have this stone driveway, and it's a field at the end of the stone driveway, so we're in the field, and before I realize that there's somebody maybe about 20, 30 yards away, and all I can see is a flashlight. And there's a lot of things going through my mind. I'm just perplexed. Like, who is this? And so I'm thinking, like, maybe it's my brother, and maybe he's just coming to hang out with us. I'm thinking, well, if that's the case, like, why didn't he text us? And why is he, like, walking from a far distance to, to, to come to us? Or I'm thinking, like, maybe it's somebody looking for a dog or, or whatnot. But then he kept walking towards us. I'm like, then another thought went through my mind. We're going to die. We're going to get murdered. This is it for us. And so I'm not going to go out down without a fight. And, but I had a pitchfork that was next to me. But guess what? I ignored the pitchfork. I forgot about that. And I got this little plastic chair. So I pick up the plastic chair, and I'm ready to go fight this guy. And so he keeps coming towards us. All we can see is this flashlight. And then at that moment, Stephanie calls out. She's like, who are you? He says, it's okay. It's okay. Niagara County Sheriff. And I was like, dude, I thought you were going to kill us. <laughs> and and he, he was a really nice guy. It turned, somebody had called in about um, an unattended fire, maybe because it was so late. And he's like, obviously, you guys are attending the fire. Have a great night. But I, like, I was terrified. Like, I was, the adrenaline was pumping through me. I was just so perplexed about what was happening. I was ready to fight someone to the death. 
And it, it, it was hard to come down from that. And I wonder, like, if that's a little bit of what Mary was experiencing. I mean, Mary has this angel appear to her. And sometimes we just overlook that in the, in the Scripture, but an angel appeared to her. It's terrifying. And, and it's interesting that, like, the angel says some really good things. Like, he says, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. I mean, this was something that was given, you know, oftentimes in the Old Testament to Moses, to Jeremiah, when that someone was called to do something important, they, they were told, the Lord is with you. And so she's told some really important things, some really encouraging things, and yet it says on text that she's greatly troubled by it. She's perplexed. She just tried to discern what sort of greeting this was. Like, what does this mean? Like, why does this, this angel come to me? Why did he choose me? Did I do something wrong? What is he calling me to do? Like, am I going to be in trouble? Like, why is this great, mighty being, this angel, choosing to come to someone like me? And she's terrified. She's perplexed. She has no idea what's going on. But she's not the only one. There's someone else just a couple months earlier who also was terrified. Zachariah. Zechariah also had an angel appear to him. And when you look at Zechariah and Mary, they were polar opposites in just about every way. Of course, one was male, one was female. Uh, Zechariah was someone who was of the priestly class. Mary was just an ordinary individual. Um, Zechariah was from Jerusalem, kind of the center of, Israelites, of the Israelite worship. And so he was an important person from an important city. Uh, Mary was from Nazareth, a relatively uh, insignificant town in Israel. Zechariah is old. Mary is young. Both are given the promise of a child, but that's a problem for each of them for different reasons. It's a problem for Zechariah because he's old. His wife is old. They're past childbearing years, and his wife is barren. They haven't been able to have children. For Mary, it's a problem because though she's betrothed, she's a virgin. And so having a child is a problem for both of them for different reasons. And just like Mary is terrified and perplexed, it says in the text, Zechariah also was terrified and perplexed. It says, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, speaking of the angel, and fear fell upon him in chapter 1, verse 12. And when we think about this, you know, God was calling both Zechariah and Mary to do incredible things. And you know, in one sense, it's like they had this incredible opportunity. But I don't think that they're the only ones or the first ones to be terrified by what God, by what God called them to do. I think when Jesus calls us to follow him, it's often, if not always, perplexing. Sometimes even downright terrifying. And the reason that I think following Jesus is sometimes perplexing is, I think there's two reasons. And the first is that Following Jesus is perplexing because Jesus often leads us to unexpected places. He often leads us to unexpected places. I mean, think about Mary. Again, she was just an ordinary young lady, had no you know, incredible plans to change the world. On this particular morning, she's probably you know, getting up. She may be you know, preparing food for the day, maybe making bread, uh, maybe gathering water. Who knows what she was doing? If she was dreaming about the future at all, she's probably dreaming about her life with Joseph and, and maybe having children and what the, those children would look like and kind of the ordinary rhythms of life. The last thing in, in her mind was 
that God was going to call her to do something incredible, that an angel was going to appear to her and change her life forever. It's something that was completely unexpected. Zechariah as well. I mean, Zechariah was a priest, and so you know, he had, you know, a, a lot more knowledge probably of who God was and kind of how to serve God. But when you think about Zechariah, uh, he was called to do something special on this day. He was called to light the incense. And, you know, maybe we gloss over that because, you know, it's okay, he was lighting the incense, that's what priests do. But this was something that was very uncommon. Uh, in other words, there were about 18,000 priests in Jerusalem, that's about what was estimated, and so for a priest to offer the incense, this was like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because it was chosen by lot, and basically once you did it once, then that, that, you're, you're done. And so when Zechariah gets up that morning, like maybe he was hoping, like, this could be the day that like, I have the special privilege to do you know, these things in the temple, but there's no way he was expecting to meet an angel in the temple. And then you have the whole child thing. I mean, he'd probably been praying hundreds, he'd probably prayed hundreds and hundreds of times, Lord, give us a child. And each time God said, no, no. And it got to the point where, you know, they were past childbearing years and probably gave up. You know, the last thing he expected was to become a father at that point. And yet suddenly God meets him and grandpa becomes a dad. God leads us to unexpected places. Think about where you were on 12-24-2013, 10 years ago. You may not remember exactly what you were doing at this time, but think about who you were. Think about the relationships that you had. Think about your workplace. Most of us, as we look back on 2013, 10, just 10 years ago, we might scarcely reckon the, recognize the person that we were 10 years ago. Maybe our relationships have changed. Maybe our job has changed. Uh, some of us, maybe we expected to kind of be at our workplace for an extended period of time. Maybe we expected to retire at our workplace. And for one reason or another, we don't have that job anymore. And we're unexpectedly you know, retired or uh, unemployed. Uh, maybe some of us, maybe we said, to death do us part. But unexpectedly, we find ourselves alone. Single mom, single dad. Some of us, maybe, we had great health at that time, and unexpectedly we were given a difficult diagnosis or had a difficult surgery, not able to do the things that we want to do. Some of us, maybe, expected to have children, but we've dealt with infertility. Some of us are single. Maybe we expected to have a family by now, to be married, have children, and yet we're still single. Some of us, maybe, unexpectedly been dealing with mental illness. Following Jesus often leads us to unexpected places. As I look back even on my own life, I think about the movements of God and all the big things in my life were always unexpected. Like where I was going to live, like I expected to live in this place, and then God is like, okay, go over here. And then I'm like, okay, I'm staying here, and then he's like, okay, go over here. I remember when I was thinking about where I was going to go to seminary, I looked at a few different seminary, Southeastern Seminary, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and Southern Seminary. And after looking at those, I had just settled on Southern Seminary. And uh, people had told me, a number of people had told me, hey, you should check out Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And I said, I'm not going to Gordon-Conwell Seminary. 
My second semester, I transferred to Gordon-Conwell Seminary. I don't know how God did that, but he often leads us to unexpected places. We think we're going one way. We think this is our future, but he's like, I got different plans for you. And sometimes it's like he leads us to the mountaintop. It's like I've got bigger plans than you could ever imagine and expect. Sometimes he leads us to the valley. It's difficult and it's hard. I don't know where God's going to lead you, but I'm pretty sure he's going to lead you to somewhere you don't expect. And so sometimes following Jesus is perplexing, confusing, because he leads us to unexpected places. But it's also perplexing and confusing because he often calls us to do things we can't do ourselves. Sometimes he calls us to do things that are downright impossible. Like a barren woman having a child after beyond childbearing years. Or a virgin having a child. He calls both of them to do things they can't do themselves. Things that are, from a physical standpoint, impossible. But that's what often God calls us to do. It's not just this, their story, it's our story as well. God often calls us to do things that we can't do ourselves. Maybe he's calling us to forgive someone. And maybe that person has done us wrong and you know, you know, we've tried to make it right. We've tried to make amends and yet they still keep hurting us. And we say, there's, there's no way I could forgive that person. And God calls us to forgive them. And only by his grace through his Holy Spirit can we do that. Some of us, maybe we have maybe an addiction or a sin that you know, we feel like we could never conquer. Yet Jesus calls us to leave those chains behind. We can't do that ourselves. Only he can give us the strength to do that. Maybe some of us, are call, God is calling to rely on him in the midst of financial difficulty. Maybe to start something new. Maybe it's the strength to endure something difficult. Maybe the strength to endure some physical ailment or the death of a loved one. These are things we can't do ourselves, but the Holy Spirit working inside of us can give, the strength, give us the strength to do that. And so following Jesus, it's often perplexing because he leads us to places that we don't expect. We have our plans. It's like, okay, this is where I'm heading, and God's like, I got different plans for you. And some of those plans that he has for us, they're downright impossible without his grace, without his spirit. And so sometimes it's perplexing, it's confusing when we follow after Jesus but look at how both of these people respond. Look at how Mary and Zachariah respond. Both unexpectedly receive a visit from an angel. Both are perplexed and afraid. Both are told that they're going to have a child, even though that's a problem for both of them for different reasons. But their responses, their responses couldn't be any more different. Look at what Zachariah says. He says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. How shall I know this? In other words, what he's saying is, I don't really believe you. Like, I've been down this road before. I mean, I've prayed, I've prayed, and I thought, maybe this is the time, maybe this is the time, maybe next year, maybe next year, maybe I'll have a child at this point. That ship has sailed. Like, how am I going to know that this is going to happen when I've been let down so many times? And I've kept praying, praying, and praying, and the door has been shut. I don't believe you. Show me some sign that this is going to, help, to, to happen. Humanly speaking, maybe he thought, you know, he didn't have the strength to get his hopes up that this could be different, that something could change. And so he's basically like, show me a sign. Like, give me some evidence that this is going to happen. 
Mary's response is different. It might seem on the surface to be similar, but it's so different. She says this, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Notice that her response, again, seems similar, but it's so different from Zachariah's. Zachariah's response is really a response of unbelief. Give me evidence. Mary's question is logistical. Okay, Gabriel, I'm not saying God can't do this, and if you say that God's going to do this, if this is God's word, yeah, he's going to do this. But how? Like, seeing my situation, seeing that physically this is impossible, how am I going to have a child? See, Zechariah is like, prove it. Mary is like, show me. There's a difference there. It's not wrong to question God when we believe God. Not wrong to question God. Zechariah, on the other hand, he's like, okay, I need evidence. I don't believe it. Mary's like, okay, I believe it. But, like, how's it going to happen? Like, I don't see how it's going to happen. See, faith sees the future before it actually happens. Faith has different eyes to see the world than looking at just through a human perspective. There's a couple by the name of Robert and Mary Moffat, and they were missionaries to a place called Bashwena Land, which is now known as Botswana. And they were there for about 10 years, and it was just a terrible experience. They had basically no fruit. They were trying to reach people with the gospel. Nobody was interested. All they saw was darkness. But they remained resolute that, like, God had called them to this place, and God was going to do what God was going to do in this place. The mission board that was overseeing their, their work, they didn't see it quite the same. They started to question it and think, well, maybe this isn't the best thing. There's no fruit. We're investing all these resources. Maybe this isn't the best way to spend our money. But they were convinced, like, we need more time. God's going to do something here. And so they decided they were going to keep, keep at it. For about a year or two more, there was darkness, no fruit. But then God started to move. God started to do something. It's about that time that there was somebody um, from England who asked the Moffats if they needed anything and offered to send them a present. Mrs. Moffat replied, send us a communion set, so I'm sure, because I'm sure it will soon be needed. She saw the future before it happened. She believed that God had brought them there for a reason. Shortly after that, the Holy Spirit moved upon the villagers' hearts. And soon a little group of six people came to know Jesus. And there was the first Christian church in Botswana. The communion set from England was delayed in the mail, but on the very day before the first commemoration of the Lord's Supper in Botswana, the set arrived. She saw with the eyes of faith. It would have been easy for them to give up and say, okay, I've put in my time, let's go somewhere else. But they didn't do that. They believed that God had a purpose for them. And that's where faith really begins. Following Jesus is easy when we're on the mountaintop. It's like when everything is going well, when we see the future, when we see the good things that God is doing, it's easy to follow God. It's easy to be grateful. But when we don't see it, when we encounter difficulty, that's where faith starts to begin. When we realize that he's leading us to unexpected places, to do things that are difficult, that's where faith begins. 
American politician Frank A. Clark once said this, faith on a full stomach may be simply contentment, but if you have it when you're hungry, it's genuine. Faith begins when we don't see it. That's what God calls us to, and that's the response that Mary has in this situation. I don't see how it's going to happen. I don't understand everything, but I believe it. Just show me. We have a choice when we're faced with confusing and seemingly impossible situations. Do we walk forward in faith, or do we say, show me a sign? I don't believe it. I don't buy it. Mary's response doesn't end there. She continues, and look at what she says in verse 36. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. That word for servant is actually the word doulos, which means slave. I am the servant or slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She's saying yes to the plan of God, no matter where that's going to lead her. See, there's a lot of questions that haven't been answered, like, what's it going to be like to raise the Son of God? What's her relationship with Joseph is going to be like? I mean, we know that after Joseph initially heard about this, he's planning to divorce her. So she's probably thinking, like, am I going to have to do this alone? Like, is my community going to reject me for this? And so she has all these questions going through her mind. She doesn't know how it's going to end. But she says, yes, Lord. I don't know the future. I've got questions. I don't have all the answers. But I believe that you're leading me somewhere good. And so she says, yes, Lord. I'm the servant of the Lord. May it be to, as you say. And so she walks forward in faith. And we see throughout the scriptures, God calls us to walk forward in faith, to say yes to his plan, even when we don't see the, de- the destination. Like with Abraham. God called Abraham, go leave the, your homeland, go to the land that I will show you. Which land? The one that I'll show you. Like, what's that going to look like? How am I going to provide for myself? Who's going to go with me? What opposition am I going to face? Just go. Go to the land that I'll show you. That's all you need to know. Say yes to his plan. That's all that we need to know. So in, uh, in January, my wife and I and son are going to Florida for a vacation. And uh, my wife really likes surprises. And I don't like surprises as much. I'm, more, I, I'm a planner. I like to know exactly what's happening. But it kind of works nice because... Um, I do basically all the planning for the trip, and so when we think about this trip coming up, um, my wife doesn't know exactly where we're staying or all the things that we're going to be doing there, and she's completely fine with that because all she cares about is going, and she trusts that you know I'm going to you know lead us to a place that's you know we're not going to get murdered in, or uh, that we're going to have a good time at least most of the time. And all that she really cares about is that we're together. But why does she trust me? Because there's a history there. Because we have a relationship. We've gone on trips before. We've gone on outings before. She knows that I'm going to follow through with things. She knows that I'm going to take care of the details. She knows that I'm not going to lead our family into a place of danger. She might not know exactly where we're going, but she knows that we're going somewhere good. I think the same thing is true with God. 
We might not know where God is taking us, but we can have the assurance he's taking us somewhere good. And we can look back on our lives and maybe some of us as believers, like we can look back and like the stories of how God has moved in our lives. Stories of how God has worked in incredible ways in our lives. And we can look back on that and like, yeah, God, there's a history there. Like God saved me, God rescued me, I went through some really difficult times, I was in the pit and God pulled me out of that pit and maybe there's this challenge that's ahead of me, but guess what? I know God's leading me somewhere good. I don't understand it, it's unexpected, maybe it's difficult, maybe it's impossible, but he's leading me somewhere good. And the beautiful thing is when we do that, we get the incredible joy of, of delighting in God and seeing him work. Imagine that you were given the greatest news in the world, but you couldn't tell anyone else. Imagine that, say, you were given $50 billion, that someone had left you a $50 billion estate, but you couldn't tell your spouse, you couldn't tell your friends, you couldn't tell anyone in your life. How hard would that be? How hard would that be having that great news but not able to share it with someone? Imagine that's what Zachariah was experiencing. I mean, this event changed his life. I mean, not only was he chosen to offer uh, the incense in the temple, but this angel appeared to him. God's like, I'm going to do something incredible for, for you. I've heard your prayers. You're going to have a child. This child is going to do incredible things in my kingdom. I mean, it's the greatest news in the world, and yet he's silent. The consequence of his unbelief is he can't rejoice in that. He can't share that joy with other people. Now contrast that with Mary. She believes God, and, and after this, before it's happened, she's rejoicing, she's singing. Look what it says in verses 47 to 55. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary believed, and because Mary believed, she was able to rejoice. Contrast that with Zechariah, who's silent. Now, the good news is, even for Zechariah, he's going to get to a point where he can rejoice. And that's actually... Uh, we see this right after this, verse 67, we see Zechariah's prophecy, Zechariah rejoicing. But the difference is Mary gets to rejoice in the midst of it. She gets to rejoice before she sees it, before Jesus is born, before she sees how it turns out. She can rejoice in the moment because in her mind, it's already as good as done. She trusts God. She believes God. She says, yes, Lord, I'm the servant of the Lord. And so she can rejoice in the moment even before it actually happens. Zechariah, on the other hand, says, okay, like, it says in the text, like, it wasn't like he didn't believe God. You know, he was a, 
you know, said that he was righteous, he loved God, but like in this moment, he faced such opposition that it's like, I, I don't know. Like I prayed so many times, like you got to prove it to me. And so he didn't believe God. And so it gets to the end and it actually, God does come through and then he can rejoice. But in the moment, before it happens, he's not able to take part in that joy. And when we believe God, before we get to that destination, we can rejoice. We can rejoice in, even in difficult things. We can rejoice in suffering because we know God's leading us somewhere good. We might not know where that is, but we know he's leading us somewhere good. And some of us, maybe we enter this Christmas season a little confused or perplexed, confused maybe about what God is doing, confused about what our future holds. And I think this passage reminds us we can trust God even when his ways are confusing, even when he calls us to do something that might seem impossible to us. In conclusion, God often asks us to do perplexing, seemingly impossible things. But when we say yes to his plan, we can rejoice in knowing that he has a good and perfect plan for us. Here's the reality. It's going to require faith. It's going to require the faith to say, yes, Lord, may it be as you say. It's going to require faith to believe that God does have our best interests in mind. And for those of us who are believers in Christ, we can rest on the fact that God has given us his own son. I mean, that's what Christmas is about, that we have the greatest gift of Christ. And if he would not withhold his own son from us, is there anything that he would withhold from us? I mean, if he gave us the most important, the most precious gift in the universe, do you think he's going to lead us down the path of destruction? Do you think he's going to lead us someplace that's going to destroy us? There's no way. He wouldn't send his son if he was going to do that. If we're believers in Jesus, he has good plans for us. We just have to trust him. The Oxford philosopher Basil Mitchell once told a story called the parable of the resistance leader that kind of illustrates this mindset. He said, imagine you're in Germany occupied France during World War II, and you want to join the resistance movement against the Nazis. One evening in the local bar, a stranger comes up to you and introduces himself as the leader of the local partisans. He spends the evening with you, explaining the general requirements of your duties, giving you a chance to assess his trustworthiness, and offering you the chance to go no further. But his warning is stern. If you join, your life will be at risk. This will be the only face-to-face meeting you will have. After this, you will receive orders, and you will have to follow them without question, often completely in the dark as to the whys or whereabouts of the operation, and always with the terrifying fear that your trust may be betrayed. Is this trust reasonable? Sometimes what the resistance leader is doing is obvious. He's helping members of the resistance. Thank heavens he's on our side, you say. Sometimes it's not obvious. He's in Gestapo uniform, arresting partisans, and unknown to you, releasing them out of sight to help them escape the Nazis. But always you must trust and follow the orders without question, despite all appearances, no matter what happens. The resistance leader knows best, you say. Only after the war will be the secrets open, the codes revealed, the true comrades vindicated, the traitors exposed, and sense made of his explanations. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't always understand God, but we can always trust God. 
Can't always understand him, but we can always trust him. And sometimes he's going to lead us to places that are confusing. We're going to rack our brain and say, God, why are you leading me here? Why am I here? It's going to be unexpected. Sometimes it's going to look like there's no way out. It's going to look like he's calling us to do something that's impossible. Most likely he is. But as this text tells us, nothing will be impossible with God. May we say with Mary, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the, Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gift that you've given us at Christmas time. Lord, for those in this room who are maybe dealing with difficult circumstances, or maybe not even difficult circumstances, but just things they didn't expect. Lord, I pray that in those moments, they would run to you. Lord, I pray that in those moments, they would have the confidence of knowing that you're there for them. They would have the confidence of knowing that if they've put their faith and trust in you, that you're for them. That there's nothing that you'll allow into their lives that is not for their good and for your glory. Lord, help us to trust you even in unexpected, difficult places. And as we do so, Lord, may the joy well up in our souls as we see the beauty of who you are and see the reality that you are faithful, that you are good, and that you love us with a love like no other. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.